Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with Dan Dickow, brought to you by SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today we've got a, a guest who I've known since I was, quite frankly, a little kid. He was a, a standout athlete in Southwest Washington. In whatever sport you were looking at, he was the best player. And I can say that uh, in wholehearted belief because he was all state in football, basketball, and baseball at Prairie High School in the early 90s. A fellow, fellow Prairie High School graduate, 12 years in the majors, Major League Baseball, two-time All-Star, over 300 home runs. Hopefully I'm not blowing up your ego too much there. A good friend of mine, Richie Sexton. How are you doing today, Rich? I'm good, man. I'm just sitting here in Bend, Oregon, enjoying the outdoors and fighting through the quarantine. It's been good. A lot of golf, a lot of fish. Well, we talked about in that intro uh, so many of the accolades that you uh, were able to experience over the course of your uh, athletic career. I mentioned 12 years in Major League Baseball. You now coach high school baseball. So I'm sure a lot of the, the kids that you work with on a day-to-day basis look up to you for advice and, and hear some experiences. What is the biggest piece of advice that you can give to a kid uh, in the world of, of going after your dreams? Um, you know, it's, it's always the same old thing. I think that you'll hear um, you know, the whole, the, the working hard, the, you know, the putting the time and don't look in the mirror and say you didn't try your best. Um, all those things. I suggest playing all sports. Um, if you can, you know, if you can't, I know that you, uh, you, you were a basketball kind of guy only, but you, you could still stripe it on a golf course. You could still run around. You could catch a football if you wanted to. You could do various things. And I think that's super important for a kid. You know, to me, because whether you get your aggressiveness from football or you get your footwork from basketball, your hand-eye from baseball, no matter what it is, um, they all tie in to make one specific athlete. You always have the opportunity to choose one, Um, you know, and I'd say have fun. I mean, we get a lot of, uh, you know, you get a lot of kids that get pushed a little bit early on and they stop enjoying the game. Um, And that that, that becomes really tough to, to maximize your potential there. So... Obviously, work hard, have fun, play as many sports as you can, be active, strength train, do all the things. We have so many, you know, we have so many opportunities to to get stronger now. The the, the eating right, everything is so much different than than it was when I was growing up. So you use all those use all those facilities and all the opportunities to do those things. Yeah, the, the, you're right. The approach these days is so much different. I've got kids that. Uh, are, are starting to really get focused in, and involved in sports and, and they're getting pulled in so many directions of certain coaches want them to, you know, sports specific at an early age. And I, I agree with you. I think it's a great um, idea to, to play multiple sports. And we, I've had a couple other guests on this show uh, who've said the same thing. Guys that were tremendous athletes. Mark Hendrickson is one, one of 13 guys to ever play Major League Baseball and in the NBA. And then a good buddy of yours, Drew Bledsoe, said something similar along the lines of, you know, he played, obviously he was in the NFL for a number of years, but he played basketball, he played baseball, he did it all. But when you look back at your career, as I mentioned in intro, all state in football, 
basketball and baseball. At what point did you think that, okay, baseball is my path? I'm going to set football aside. I'm going to set basketball aside and go baseball. Um, it was tough. I, you know, I, I loved them both equally. Uh, football was kind of never really going to be an option. I really, I enjoyed Friday night. I didn't like Monday through Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Friday. Um, so football was never going to really be an option for me. I still enjoyed the game. I enjoyed my friends, but it would definitely came down to a basketball, baseball decision for me. Um, you know, I'd actually chose a college, University of Portland to go to because they were one of the only schools that were going to let me continue to do both at the next level. A lot of the Pac-10, it was Pac-10 back in my day, was the Pac-10. So none of those, none of the schools that I was recruited by were going to allow me to do both uh, basketball and baseball at their schools. So Portland was kind enough to let me do that. And I just didn't know at the time. Um, I think it opened my eyes. I went down to a camp. It was a Reebok camp in my senior year um, down in Cal State in Dominguez Hills. And, you know, there was a lot of great Rodney Henderson, and I think Jason Kidd, and a few of those guys were down there. And you start to realize that, uh, well, Jason was older then, but he was there. Rodney, you, you start to realize that there is a better quality of basketball outside of the Vancouver area. <laughs> So that was a little humbling for me. Uh, and and uh, I think at that point, I started to lean a little bit towards Baseball Avenue. Baseball, obviously, you made the correct choice. As I mentioned, two-time All-Star, over 10 years in the majors. But you were a guy that you weren't, from, from all accounts that I know, and talking to you in the past and reading different articles on, on your trajectory of your career, you weren't a surefire going to make it to the majors guy. So you really had to work at it. Uh, you were drafted and sent to rookie ball within a week of high school graduation, if I remember correctly. What was that mindset going in that, hey, you know what, I'm going to give it everything I have and see what happens? Um, yeah, that was strange to me. I mean, you get drafted, you're in high school, you know, you're supposed to go on your, on your senior trip with your boys and Next thing you know, you're banging that. You're in North Carolina playing with uh, guys from different countries with wooden bats, nine-inning games, lights. Uh, it was all a big shock. And I, I blew the – you know, I was a 24th-round pick. Um, I think I – at the time, my thought was, I'm just going to go try this, and if it didn't work out, I could always go back to college and try basketball again. So I kind of wanted to just, more than anything, give it a shot one you know, getting back to doing both, I figured, well, I'll go try baseball. And if it doesn't work, then, then great. Um, I ended up blowing the world away, hitting, you know, 185 with one home run and five RBIs my first year. So they were super impressed with me. <laughs> being, a, <laughs> being a 24th round pick is tough. You, you know, you don't get all the opportunities that maybe a top five round pick guy would get. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have some really higher ups in the organization type people with the Indians that saw me taking batting practice and knew that there was some potential there. So I was invited to an instructional league and really got some good quality work there, not just game wise, but just all day practicing on my swing and getting stronger. And, and then things just kind of rolled from there. You mentioned your numbers weren't great that first year and you, you, have some people in the organization that believe in you and, and put you into an instructional league to really develop. But 
is it hard not to lose your confidence at that point going from dominating to now struggling? But I know you had a passion and a work ethic that was going to give you a chance, but you weren't seeing the results early on. No, I, I mean, it, especially as a young kid and you're just, you're just kind of thrown across the country and you've never really, I barely, the only first couple of planes I think I flew on were recruiting trips, you know? And so it was just all of a sudden you're on the other side of the, of the U S playing baseball. There is a confidence issue there. You start to question the decision that you made and, you know, you give up, you know, did I give up college baseball? Maybe I needed those three years of college to improve and become the player that I was supposed to be before I signed. And all these things are going through your head. And I think just, I can remember my mom threatening to get on the plane to come get me. She said I sounded pretty down on every time I talked to her on the phone. So it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a mental, uh, you know, setback when you're just a young kid. But those are the things that make you stronger, you know, the failures and the things that just like anything, if you got to be able to fight through those. So I think that, you know, it almost helped me to struggle right away. And, but at the same time, have people believe in you. So you realize, that, are, am I struggling as bad as I think? Or am I just going through growing pains that it takes to use the wooden bats, play nine inning games, be under lights, be in a different part of the country? So, you know, I've always been hard on myself. Baseball is a rough sport. You know, if you fail seven out of ten times, you probably go to the Hall of Fame. So it's one of those only sports I don't. I don't think you can fail in any other sport and continue to play like you can in baseball. Yeah, that's so true that baseball is one of those sports that, again, if, if you fail seven out of ten times, you're, you're an all-star level player, a uh, chance to be a Hall of Famer, as you mentioned. At what point in your baseball career did you realize, whether it might have been double-A, triple-A, that, you know what, I think I've got a long future ahead of me because you started to see the path of improvement and some success? Um, you know, like anything, you start to read and you start to see things. The organization had a Cleveland would have, or all of them had a top 10 prospects in the, in the organization. Um, you know, I, I, and you start to see your name start to slide in there, whether you go into number nine, and there's a lot of people in an organization, whether you go to nine, 10, eight, one, whatever it is, you start to see your name slipping into those into those categories and that's when you start to realize that not only are you starting to believe in yourself but the organization is as well um you know as i moved up by the time i was in high long season a ball i had won the mvp of the league and and then you're kind of like well now i've put my name on the map here you know the thing is you're not only playing for you know your team your main team but you're playing for 30 other teams too at this time because trades and different things happen and you know so you you just keep grinding away and you start you start reading your name in baseball america or you start seeing the organization firing you into some of these top prospect things and that's when i think you realize it i remember my first nba basket it was uh, my rookie year with the hawks we were playing new jersey and in, in uh, East Rutherford in the old terrible Coliseum arena that they had. And I drove left, made a left-handed layup. And this was after I was throwing the ball at the end of a shot clock and bricked my first shot in the NBA. But I do remember my first successful bucket. Do you remember your first at-bat in the majors? And then do you also remember your first home run? Yeah. Um, you know, the first at-bat was is Wilson Alvarez 
White Sox. I, it was actually a pinch hit. I pinch hit for Brian Giles. Um, he was a lefty. The pitcher was left-handed. I came in. I got 0-2 on me before I even knew what happened. And so that was a little discouraging. I ended up battling it back. I think I get it to 3-2. And Robin Ventura was just coming back at the time. His ankle was still, he really messed his ankle up pretty good. Did one of those dislocation type gross things. But he was coming back from that. I'm sure they heard about the power and some of the things. And I full swing chopper off home plate that went about 18 feet down the line and I beat it out for an infield single. <laughs> it's not my game. I was not a, a slap it around type guy that was going to beat out a lot of singles. So, so if I don't think if Robin had been a little bit banged up, I would have got a hit. So my first set bat was a chink little jobber down the third baseline for an infield single. That might have been the only infield single of your career too, huh? I think it might have been, unless there was somebody really slow with third or pitching or something I can only <laughs> that's awesome you were you were an all-star a couple times you also were in the, the the home run derby a number of times I grew up as a as a kid loving watching the home run derby what type of experience was that because I know being to the NBA all-star game a couple of times just the kind of entertainment value that is placed on that weekend but I've never been to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and the festivities. How was being a part of that home run derby? Um, it's, the, it's the weirdest, most nerve-wracking thing you can do. And the first one I did was actually at home in the city that I played in. So there was a lot of – there was a little more added stress there. When you're the, home, when you're the hometown kid, you, they really want you to perform well. And I did just fine, you know, but I ran up, you ran up against Sosa and – he was running around with veins everywhere, spitting underneath the tunnel, practicing. <laughs> so he ended up taking me out, and I think the, when I was just before the final round, I think. And the home run derby has changed so much. It used to be, you, you know, when I did it, it was outs. You got 10 outs. And so if you, you know, obviously if you didn't hit one, it was, uh, we got nine and eight, and then it just kind of goes down. And I would have loved to have done it the way that they do it now, and it would have been less nerve-wracking because you could just swing at the rosin bag if they throw it up there. It's all timed, so you could just hack away. But back then, you had to really, like, focus in on getting a good pitch that you could do it with, and then not only getting that, but getting it done. So, But it's the, it, it's the most – because you're just you're – an, you're on an island. You're the only one on the TV. It's, there's no – we're used to taking batting practice with the hitting clam around us. You know, we're used to just kind of – hitting balls around, hitting ground balls, working on a swing, working in the middle. All of a sudden, you're just by yourself with a catcher, you know, and a guy throwing. There's a lot more stress than the dude throwing BP. Now that I take – now that I uh, throw BP to kids, I'm like, that's a little – those guys, I got a lot of respect for those dudes throwing BP now. That's awesome. I, I, I never would have thought that it would have been nerve-wracking for somebody who was always so successful – like yourself at, at the plate and discerning pitches, whether it's a curveball or, or a changeup or fastball coming down the middle. So that's interesting to hear. I want to go back to your high school experience and years at Prairie High School. As we mentioned, all state football, basketball, baseball, uh, Prairie had some tremendous coaches at that time. Um, Bill Hill was a football coach. Uh, his son, Zach, is now offensive coordinator at Arizona State in the Pac 12. Uh, Phil Spiesman was a pretty good basketball coach. Uh, and then Don Freeman, um, who is a tremendous 
high school baseball coach who's been with USA Baseball for a number of years and in, in events that they've done. Yeah. Do you remember any particular learning experiences from any one of those coaches? And then do you use those stories with the kids that you coach these days? Yeah, I do. I mean, again, like each, each coach, I think, uh, just brings a little something different. I think, you know, with, uh, with Hilly, he, a football coach, he was more, he kind of, kind of taught me patience, you know, like stay in the game. And he always had a calmness about him, no matter how tight the game was. He, he had confidence in his players. Um, you know, just a, just a great leader for me and just a sweet, wholesome dude too. I mean, I don't think you do a background check on that guy. I think everybody's going to feel a little worse about themselves. <laughs> he's a, he's just a good, good, wholesome, good man. Uh, Spees, I mean, again, another calm dude, just believed in everybody. Um, you know, at the same time, let you, there was a freedom with him. You know, if there was a, uh, a play that you liked, he allowed you to play within, you know, your style of game. You didn't have to sit in the flex offense and run around and be a robot. And, um, so there was a real freedom there where you could experiment with your athletic abilities and some of the things that you could do. And uh, he, he was very good about, about letting me and the other guys do that. And, you know, Don, Don was just a, he's a, just a baseball man. He's a lifer. Uh, he, you know, for him, it was tough because he only had me for 20 games during the high school season and five of those would get rained out and 15 other ones were leaving class early to get some diesel fuel on there to burn off the rest of the water to get, to get moving on and try to get a game in. So, you know, the high school seasons were tough, but Don's always been a huge supporter. I would see him once in a while playing in the big leagues. Um, I got a lot out of my my summer ball, Dan Spencer. Uh, he was my summer ball Babe Ruth coach. And that's where I got, you know, a lot of, you know, we played 52 games in the summer. So, you know, I got a lot from him. He was a toughness guy, you know, got to punch in the ribs and, you know, kind of rib you a little bit. And, you know, knew how to push guys and which guys he could pat on the back, which guys he could really, really push, exercise and toughness. You get hit by a pitch, get back up, let's go, you're fine, walk it off, spit dirt, one of those dudes. So I think all of them brought a little something different to the table. And how do you, how do you take the best of each of those and instill it in your coaching philosophy with kids now at Summit High School? You know, things are so different. I, and I, you could probably vouch for this. I mean, some of the, if the things that the coaches did with us back then you go to jail for. I think things are so different now that you really have to calm down, dumb yourself down. And, you know, the, the parenting style with the kids and, the, you know, the various things that are different from when I was being coached. So I've, that's been the biggest thing for me is, you know, trying to figure out ways to motivate the kids without being a total jerk about it. And I think there's, for me, um, I don't like, I, I'm going to say dumb me it down a little bit because I know what I've seen and be like, you know, same for you. If you, you're, you've been in the NBA, you've seen the best of the best for you to try to go coach high school kids again, you really have to bring yourself back to that moment and understand that there's going to be failures and, and there's gonna, they're not going to do things the way that you saw them for 12 years or whatever it was that I played. And you just need to understand that and, 
and uh, you know, relate to the kids and try to remember what it was like to fail. And these kids are going through a lot too. You know, they got they got girls and they got their school and they got a lot of things on their mind and outside influences. You know, I, these dang drugs they're coming up with now and these all these vape pens and all the other this crap that's going on and. So we're constantly fighting that as coaches and, and leaders in the community. Yeah, I commend anybody that goes and, and coaches at the high school level these days because it's not easy. I know that for sure. Um, and so I commend you for that. I want to go back now to your Major League Baseball career. And obviously you played over 10 years. I, I had a nice run in the NBA. But I don't think anybody who, unless they've lived it, understands the grind of a season in professional sports. How would you keep yourself ready for 162 games a year? And when you had a chance to unwind during the season, what would you do? Um, you know, yeah, we squeeze a lot of games in a short period. You know, we get 162 games in 182 days. So there's 20 days off in there. You know, usually you get the, you know, one month will have three, a couple more will have two. It just depends. Some You'll get rained out. You know, there's double headers, But for the most part, you kind of become a little bit of a robot. Um, you understand that you're a, you know, for me that to, when you're getting paid, you feel like you owe it to the fans and you owe it to the organization to throw it out there every day. Um, unfortunately, you can't tell the fans before the game that my back hurts, my ankle hurts. Uh, I have the flu or my children are in the hospital. You don't have the luxury of telling that. And for the most part, they don't really care. So you really got to be mentally tough, throw it out there every day and just like for, for two to three hours every day, block everything else that's going on in your life and just do your job and then get back home and take care of the off the field business. It's, it's tough. It is tough. And you're right. Calling professional athletes robots uh, is a pretty good analogy because there would be times that I would remember you open up the door to your hotel room to figure out what city you're in by looking at the newspaper. <laughs> it just is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Wake up on a plane and ask somebody where we're headed. I've done that a lot. <laughs> where are we landing? Who's pitching? Done that a lot. Yeah. Last question before I let you go, Richie, is, uh, you know, the coronavirus has kind of put a stall on everything in this country, but it's also put a, a big time stall on professional sports. It looks like the NBA is going to get back up and going. It looks like the NFL might get going this fall in, in a limited capacity with fans. But unfortunately for, for a baseball fan or, or somebody who's been involved with major leagues, they're kind of on a stall pattern right now and they haven't got this figured out. Um, do you have an opinion one way or the other with how to get Major League Baseball up and going? Because I know a lot of people want to see the Major Leagues get going this year. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'd really love to see them figure this out. It's, it's turning into a money issue here. And, and it's also, you know, there is, you start packing 40,000, 50,000 people in the seats and it gets a little weird. We're dealing with the real thing here and, and there's people dying from this. So you have to be careful with, exactly you know the selfish side of me wants to see baseball being played and these guys getting out there and you know and grinding it out but i you know i just I, there's got to be something they can figure out basically they're in a really good spot to help the game of baseball right now there's nothing going on and uh like to popularize the game right now would this be an ideal time for them to do that so i mean 
there's been everything, there's been all sorts of talks about, you know, prorating the money or deferred money for the players, you know, maybe just play the rest of this year out for half of what you're worth and then we'll defer it to when you're 50 years old, you'll get paid the rest that you didn't play for. And there's been all sorts of talks going on between the players union and the owners. And um, unfortunately this battle we've been fighting for a long time and it, it just gets worse. It seems at times the more we talk, but um, I know the players, I got three or four guys in town here that come hit at my house pretty much every day. And they're just itching to get back to playing baseball if you want to hear it from a player's side. And for them, it's not about the money. And I think for the most part, <clears throat> they just want to save the game, get out and play and entertain people in a time that people need entertainment. You know, I just think that the baseball could really, really do, some, do a lot of good for the sport if they could figure this out and get out there and play some games. Yeah, I, I hope Major League Baseball gets going just as the other sports will. But obviously, when this time and day of the coronavirus, there's going to be some some restrictions and guidelines placed on it. But hopefully they can figure out. I know I did say that was your last question. This one is the last question before I let you go. What's your handicap at now? And what's your home course in Central Oregon? Uh, handicap, is still, I'm just not good, man. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Maybe I'm too tall and I'm getting old. But I think I got it. It's an 8-8 eight, eight or something on my gin. I can – I'll shoot a 79 or an 82 at the home track right in there. Uh, you know, we're at Broken Top over here in Central Oregon is where we play all our golf. Good group of dudes, um, good group of people there. I'm also over at Pronghorn is the other one that I'm at. and It's super nice. It's a little ways away. And it's harder. So if I go over there, I'm not – an 8-8 I might get I might shoot your 91 who knows what I'll shoot I'll go I enjoy the game I enjoy the dudes you're good you've always been good at it well hopefully at some point we can get back out there and play and, and I know for a fact you're sandbagging you're setting me up for a couple strokes on each side so with that I will let you know so Richie I appreciate you joining the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports uh, best of luck with you and your family to continue to stay healthy and getting that Summit High School baseball team in Oregon, hopefully to a state title in the near future. All right, brother. Thanks, man. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.